Good morning. My name is Caesar. I'm one of the pastors here and also the pastor for um, Celebrate Recovery. And it is a blessing to be here with you this morning uh, to be able to share a word with you. And for those folks who are in the Well Cafe, welcome. Um, we welcome you here as well. If this is your first um, Sunday with us um, and you were going to another church, well, you came to the right place. So we, we welcome you here. Uh, I always say that, um, that it's by divine, by divine God, by God's divine grace that, that we are here and that, uh, that nothing is an accident. And so we welcome uh, your presence here today. Um, as we prepare for this message, um, I want to draw um, my sermon from this particular uh, passage that comes from Matthew's, the, Matthew, the sixth chapter verses 19 through 24 and verses 33 through 34. So if you have your Bibles, um, I would invite you to, to um, open um, your, your Bibles to that chapter. Matthew 6, 19 through 24, and then verses 33 through 34. Let us prepare our hearts now as we listen for God's word. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Will you think with me for a few minutes on this thought? First things first. First things first. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your amazing grace that meets us here once again in this most holy place. God, we pray now that you would rescue me from me and rescue all of us from ourselves and that you would hide all of us behind your cross that we may see you lifted up and glorified. We pray now this very moment that you would send your Holy Spirit, that you would open our ears, our hearts, and our minds to hear a word from you. We pray. We pray that you would make us right and ready to do your will. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be holy and acceptable in your righteous sight. And then, God, we will be mindful as people of faith 
to give you all praise, honor, and glory. We pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. As we continue the Lenten series on the 40-day challenge and what it means for us to decrease so that Christ may increase in our lives, I think it's important to note that following Christ and minimizing our desires for the sake of the gospel in Christ is not a natural thing for us to do as human beings because we are all conditioned to protecting our human existence. In fact, if we were to look at all of our human struggles of when and how we fall short of the glory of God, I would submit to you that most of our failings have come because we erroneously live with the mindset of scarcity, that there is not enough in this world to fulfill our needs or secure us from death. Thus, we spend our precious God-given resources trying to secure our own narrow interests, which oftentimes put us at odds with God and each other. Likewise, likewise, when I look at my own spiritual journey as a man of faith and as a minister of this amazing gospel of Jesus Christ, and how I am so, how I often so fall short of the glory of God and fail to live up to the highest callings of my faith, I must admit that my own struggles come because I place more trust in the lies of this world, that material things will secure my place in eternity more than God's love and grace will. Thus, the stuff including my work, my education, my politics, my religion, all get in the way of my relationship with God and ultimately my relationship with God's glorious creation. So rather than building bridges to connect and form community with those who are different than me, I build walls to divide me from those who are not like me because I see them as a threat to my existence. Rather than using religion as a way to access a grace-filled life, I use religion to try and manipulate God into thinking that I am above reproach. And rather than taking the hard road that leads to a deeper faith-filled life, I take the path of least resistance because I don't want to feel pain in this mortal body of mine. Yes, yes, I must admit that my problems and my faith issue is an idolatrous dependency upon the stuff of this world. And if I'm going to break the bonds of this dependency, if I'm going to break the bonds of this dependency that, that I'm tied to with this stuff of the world, I'm going to have to make a paradigm shift in my mentality and in my spiritual understanding. From moving away from trusting the material things of this world to trusting the spiritual things of God. You know, I often 
you know, I, 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 I'm here every Thursday night, and I, you know, I, I love, uh, we do celebrate recovery here, and I love the serenity prayer, and, and I love the way the serenity prayer starts off with God grant me the serenity, and I don't know how many times that prayer has saved my peace of mind because it's been so important to me, and, and here uh, for the last two years, I've been commuting back and forth to Dallas, and, and it kind of got me a little ritual where I'll get up and and then I'll go work out, and I and I get come home, and I get dressed, and and I'll I'll put on some gospel music. I'll try to to get something that that's going to soothe my spirit and 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 get me ready for the day. And you know I'll get in the car, and then I'll start heading to Dallas, and you know and I I have Jesus in the car with me, and I'm singing Jesus in me loves the Jesus, and I'm waving at the drivers next to me. Hey, how you doing? Jesus loves you. Yeah, I love you. Jesus loves you. And then as soon as somebody pulls out in front of me, I throw Jesus out and I go, God, grant me the serenity. <laughs> throw Jesus and the disciples out and then lose all of my Christian belief and lose everything because I'm so afraid of losing this life of mine. Having said that, having said that, I know that Letting go of the stuff and trusting God is a faith issue for me. And if it's a faith issue for me, then I know that it is a faith issue for you as well. It's a faith issue for all of us because we are human, because we struggle with this human condition. And we are so conditioned to protecting our human existence that sometimes we run with more fear than faith. And that fear leads us to sin, which ultimately, which ultimately leads us to death. Romans 7, 17 and 20 says this, and I love it. I love this particular translation that comes from the Message Bible, and it says this. For if I know the law, but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. In other words, in other words, to overcome this fear of death, we need God's grace to help us live out our faith and com complete the calling that God has placed on each one of our lives. We need God's love in our life to constantly perfect who we are every day. When we run short on grace, when we are, when we're more afraid than we have courage, when we rely more on fear than we do faith, when, when we are, when we refuse to understand or seek understanding, we need God's grace to complete God's work in us so that we can be all that God has called us to be. I love this prayer, this prayer by the late Bishop Ken Utner that says this, it helps, it helps now and then to step back and take a long view. The kingdom is not only beyond our effort, it is even beyond our vision. We accomplish in our lifetime only a tiny fraction of the magnificent enterprise that is God's work. Nothing we do 
is complete, which is a way of saying that the kingdom always lies beyond us. No statement says all that can be said. No prayer fully expresses our faith. No confession brings perfection. No pastoral visit visits brings wholeness. No program accomplishes the church's mission. No set of goals and objectives includes everything. This is what we're about. We plant the seeds that one day will grow. We water seeds already planted knowing that they hold future promises. We lay foundations that will need further development. We provide yeast that produces far beyond our capacity. We cannot do everything. And there is a sense of liberation in realizing that. This enables us to do something and to do it very well. It may be incomplete, but it is a beginning, a step along the way, an opportunity for the Lord's grace to enter and do the rest. We may never see the end result, but that is the difference between the master builder and the worker. We are workers, not master builders, ministers, not messiahs. We are prophets of a future, not our own. Thus, the first step. The first step in putting God first is embracing our human limitations, is embracing our human limitations and trusting that God's grace will complete the work that is in us, that God is constantly completing the work in us. One of, the, one of the things that I constantly try to communicate and celebrate recovery is that what we do is grace work. It's about accepting our own limitations and understanding who we are, understanding our human weaknesses and our vulnerabilities and understanding that, that, that sometimes we just don't have it all together in certain areas. And because of our woundedness, we run with a certain fear in our lives but that God is constantly perfecting us every time that we bring our vulnerabilities to God. That every time we bring our vulnerabilities to God, we begin to trust God. We begin to trust God with our woundedness. We trust God with our hurts and our hangups and our habits. We trust God with all of the nasty stuff that we have in our lives. We trust God with all of our failings and our mistakes. We trust God with our whole heart because we believe ultimately at the end of the day that God loves us and will never leave us. The other thing I think we need to know is that putting God first will cost us our earthly life. That putting God first will cost us our earthly life. But the reward is an everlasting relationship and life and sweet communion with Christ. I love these words that Jesus says in Matthew 16, 24, and 25. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 
Therefore, if we are going to be congruent in our walk, if, if what we profess and what we live, if, if there's going to be congruency in our life with our relationship with God, we must be willing, we must be willing to practice discipleship and pay the price, that we must be willing to take up the cross and to go where God is calling us to go and to serve where God is calling us to serve and to suffer for the cause of love and grace so that God's presence is made known in the world. So that God's presence is made known in the world. I remember uh, when I was... uh, in grade school, and I, you know, I, when I was when I was growing up, both of my parents were deaf, and and um, and I, I I I just always stayed in fights because if somebody said something about my mom and dad, I it was gonna be on like Donkey Kong. I was, <laughs> you know, they weren't gonna get away with 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 talking about my mom and daddy, and uh, and my. And my parents, they would, they would always get on to me and tell me, no, we don't want you. Stop fighting. Stop doing that. And, and they would get on to me all the time about that. And, and my grandmother, she would get on to me, and the administrators at school would get on to me. And I would try to explain to them that, that you know, these kids are talking about my parents, and my mom and daddy can't hear them, and I can hear them, and I would make sure that they don't say nothing about them because they can't protect themselves. And I was fiercely loyal to, to them and who they were. And anytime something happened or anytime somebody gave them a strange look, whether it was a relative, an aunt, or an uncle, they were going to hear something from me. And I was constantly getting in trouble. And I remember my grandmother was really frustrated with me, and she was, you know, she was trying to understand, and I, and I was trying to explain to her. And I remember she saying to me, she said, Caesar, she says, you have to pray for your enemies. You got to pray for those who despitefully misuse you, and you have to pray for all those who don't stand on your side. She says, because if you pray for them, your heart will change, and the world will be made better because of it. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. puts it this way, if a man has not discovered something that he will die for, he isn't fit to live. That if we haven't found something that is worth dying for, then we have not found a good reason to live. That if there's nothing in our life that we are worth, that, that means enough to us that we are willing to sacrifice, then, 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 we, then there's no meaning to our lives. I remember the day that I became a daddy. I remember it was on Monday night and the Miami Dolphins and the Buffalo Bills were playing uh, and every time uh, my wife would push, somebody would score, and I was rooting for the Chicago Bears, and I really, I mean, not the, the Buffalo Bills, and I wanted the Bills to win. So, you know, when she would push, somebody would score. So I said, keep pushing because I want the team to win. <laughs> and then I remember uh, after the labor and after uh, everything was done, Kara was delivered, and I remember uh, – you know, the nurse cleaning, cleaning her off and then handing her to me. And, and I remember looking at her and thinking to myself, man, this is, this is really the first time that I had, had looked into my own future 
that I looked at this child and saw all the hopes and possibilities of what I hoped that I could be. And I realized for the first time that there was something that I would die for. I began to carry that cross as a daddy. <laughs> when she came home, I was getting up at night uh, doing the bottles. And, and then, you know, when she got a little older, you know, I, the, the ESPN turned away from, I, I turned away from ESPN to Barney and, 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 and Sesame Street. And oh, how painful that was. And then I remember my music collection. All my music collection changed to, to, to uh, all the rock and roll and, and rap songs and R&B music that I had that I enjoyed that I would listen in the car that turned to all these little kid songs. And I remember my car shifted from a truck to a minivan. I remember all the struggles that I went through with, with being argued at and fussed with when I was like, okay, come on, let's get dressed because we got to go to school. All those times when I would get fussed at and now I see both of my kids when, when they're grown and realizing that the sacrifice was worth it. Finding something with which we are willing to die and give up our lives for gives us life. And I would submit to you, if you want to live, you must be willing to suffer. That you have to be willing to suffer for not just any cause, but for the cause of Christ. For the cause of Christ and what, God, what Christ is calling us to. The noted theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer he puts it this way, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a noted theologian in Germany who lived during the time of Hitler and was hung uh, by Hitler's government. And I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer has to, what he has to say about the cost of discipleship in his book and what he has to say about discipleship and the cost of it in his book, The Cost of Discipleship. And here's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says. He says, the cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ suffering which every man must experience is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. It is that dying of the old man which is the result of an encounter with Christ. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with death. Thus it begins, the cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of a communion with Christ. That it meets us. That it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. Thus, when we are willing to bear the price of following Christ, we live with the hope of being in right relationship with God and each other. That we live with the real hope of being in right relationship with God and each other. When we bear the cross as Christ has called us to bear the cross, we're, we're, we're not only living our lives as God has called us, but we are bearing that cross 
for others. Finally, putting God first calls us to love and service in the world. We cannot serve God and be right in, and be in right relationship with God if we are not in service to the world or seeking love for this world. This world is a hateful place. This world is a dangerous place. This world is a scary place and a place that is built on fear. And Christ calls us, calls us into the world and calls us to enter that world in service and in love. Mark 12, 30 and 31 says this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might, and all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. When I think of this love, you know, I, I think it's easy to think about this love as being some sort of fuzzy love that, that you know, uh, you know I, I love you because you love me, and, you know, we're one big happy family, you know. <laughs> That there's, you know, there's this, there's this fuzziness about this love. But this love that is described here in this passage is a much deeper and much radical. It's a more radical love than, than, we've, than, 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 than I love you because you love me. This love is the kind of love that seeks to find us wherever we are and pursue us to bring us in right relationship with God. This love, this love is a divine love from God that radically seeks relationship with us. The Greeks call this love agape. They call this love agape love. And I love, and, 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 and agape love is a supernatural love that comes from God and is established from God above all of creation and humanity. I love Dr. Martin Luther King's description of agape and how and what he describes agape as. He says agape is love that seeks creative, redemptive goodwill for all of humanity. That it is a love that seeks creative, redemptive goodwill for all of humanity. Or in other words, it is a love that is creatively seeking redemptive goodwill that it is constantly trying to find a creative way to seek goodwill for all of humanity. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 and 8 says this, If I speak with the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clinging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecies and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all of my possessions to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. 
It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always persevere. Love never fails. Love never fails. And the good news, the good news for us today is that that love never fails us. Regardless of where we are in our lives, that that love never fails us, that that love is constantly with us, that that love is so radical that it will find us wherever we are in the worst place that we can be, in our, in our worst failings, that that love is there calling us home. The good news is that that love never, never fails us. Several years ago, or about 28 years ago to be precise, <laughs> I, uh, I was a senior in college at the University of Oklahoma and uh, playing football for the University of Oklahoma for Barry Switzer. And once a week, they would run, uh, they would run, a, 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 they would have one of the seniors come on the show and feature that person for the week. And um, they and the Barry Switzer show featured my family and me on uh, on that show. And I want to share that video with you. I want to share that video with you about my life and about this amazing radical love that has continued to show up in my life. I don't think a story ever touched as many people as much as this last feature. It's about a young man who, through determination and courage, overcame overwhelming obstacles and circumstances to emerge a winner. This is Caesar's story. Caesar Rente was recruited by the likes of Texas A&M, Texas Tech, and Oklahoma State. He chose Oklahoma over all of them back in the spring of 1983. The 280-pound senior had set goals of becoming a standout lineman for the Sooners. A series of injuries prevented that, but still, Caesar has played a lot and been a big contributor to the program, both on and off the field. Any adversity Caesar Rente has experienced at the University of Oklahoma doesn't phase him one bit. Adversity was an everyday companion to Caesar for much of his young life. Caesar's family had to be on welfare early in his life. The Rentes moved from poverty in Kansas City into more poverty in Hartshorn, Oklahoma, 11 years ago. The old homestead was hardly livable. Caesar's close friend and mentor, Dr. Brad Luckett, remembers the young man's hard times very well. If we went out to Caesar's house like Caesar lived six or seven years ago, I think he would find a house that the roof leaked when it rained, an open-air heater. And uh, there was sewer going in underneath the ground. And they put, put plastic on the windows to keep the cold out during the winter time. And the only time I ever saw Caesar really frustrated or aggravated was when he went into his room one day. We were getting ready to go to a football game and getting ready to go on a recruiting type trip. And Caesar could not find his clothes in a cardboard box in a room with no light. That's the only time I've ever seen this big boy frustrated. Caesar has been an inspiration and a blessing to us a whole lot more than we've been an inspiration and a blessing to him.
Dr. Lockett and others in this southeastern Oklahoma community have been a blessing to the Rente family. Life is easier on Caesar's family now than it was thanks to generosity and the Rente's traditional hard work ethic. multitude of rentes living in and around Hartshorn to share the good times. From great-grandparents to great-uncles and great-aunts to nephews and nieces. prosperous ties become, Caesar will never have the gift of sound with his parents. Caesar Julius and Irma Rente are deaf mutes. Caesar's father, also his hero, is paralyzed with a stroke and crippled with diabetes. Still, the Rente share their love and expressions with one another. Are you happy with your, your life, with your family? Yeah, she says together, happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she says happy together. <laughs> My daddy's talking about it. it's beautiful. <laughs> Eileen, Phyllis, and Kevin, and Caesar. He's talking the four of us. <laughs> I always wanted to tell him on TV, hi, mom and dad, <laughs> and I told him that. H, hi. Mom and Dad, I love you. Caesar's grandmother, Evelyn Chalmers, has always been there for her grandkids. Mrs. Chalmers has one great hope for Caesar. What one bit of advice would only be one thing would you tell Caesar? To keep his hand in Jesus' hand and to love his family. And I will continue to love his family regardless of what. You have and any doubts that Caesar will? I don't have no doubts at all. Not at all. No doubts at all. Because Caesar, he just like that. And I love him for it, too. The first thing that I want to do is get my degree, you know, and that was my goal when I left, you know, from Hartshorn to go to OU. And I said, I want to get a degree so that I'll be able to, to get a nice job or something so that I can be able to do something for my mom and dad. And they're really my inspiration, you know, and giving all the credit to God because he's, you know, put that desire in my heart and, and to keep going on and to keep running the race and to keep taking one day at a time, no matter how hard it gets, no matter how late I have to stay up. Like it says in the Bible, it says, honor thy mother and thy father. And I honor him with all my heart. And I love him to death, you know, and I've seen him go through some hard times. You know, I've seen our family go through some hard times. And, you know, I look back on all those, all those days, you know, I know it wasn't nothing but the blessings of God that he's allowed me an opportunity. I mean, I thank Coach Switzer for recruiting me, you know, and allowing me to have that chance to be able to go on and do some nice things. But I, I will never forget my parents because I see the desires in their hearts and to want to have some nice things for their children. And I want to have some nice things for my mom and dad, and I want to do some nice things for them. Caesar Rente's ambitions and goals are directed to the place the roots grow deepest, family. Caesar will never speak with his folks aloud, but this family knows how to speak with their hearts. 
If only we could all hear what these fine people feel. Without a doubt, uh, I'm 15 years on this show. It's the finest feature we've ever done. I don't know about you, but I know for me, I am so glad that that love is so radical that it loves me regardless of that sweater. and that it will never, ever leave me. <laughs> and that that love has always been there. When my dad got sick, that love was there. When our family was split up, that love was there. When we came back together and were reunited, that love was there. When I lost my dad, that love was there. When my grandmother passed, that love was there. When my great-grandfather and my great-grandmother passed, that love constantly reminded me that I was never lost. When my mother passed, that love was there. When I had the opportunity to go to college, that love was there. When I got ready to graduate and my heights of success, that love was there when I when I got drafted by the Bears, that love was there. And when I got cut, that love was there. When I had my kids, that love was there. When I went through a divorce, that love was there. And when I met my lovely wife, Cynthia, that love was there. Reminding me, reminding me that it's radical in its nature and that it seeks me wherever I am and calls me into radical relationship with the world. I don't know where you are in your life. I don't know what it is that you're struggling with. I don't know what it is that causes you fear or anxiety. I don't know what great success you're experiencing or what failures you're experiencing, or what insecurities you deal with every day. But here's what I want to say to you. Is that love is there. Reminding us that we are not alone. That we have never been separated from God's amazing grace. And that it calls us into radical relationship with the world. So that God's presence will be made known. My hope my hope for all of us as we leave this place is that we will know that that love calls us every day. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious God, we thank you for your amazing grace. We thank you for your love, and we thank you for calling us home. God, we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit, that you would breathe into us your breath of life, that we may surrender all of our lives to you so that we can be in radical relationship with you and each other, so that your presence will be made known in this life. Be with us this day. 
And then, God, we will be mindful in all things to give you all praise, honor, and glory. We pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.